And Father, we all pray that prayer to You in, in some way. We all feel stretched thin in various areas of our life and, and feel tired. And, and we know that we can't go on apart from You and Your strength. And so we pray that You would, you'd come into each one of our lives and lift us and carry us through whatever situation, whatever circumstance we find ourselves in. Father, which is why we come to You um, each every day, but, but also every week here in church. We, we come to You and we come to Your Word because we, we want your, your guidance and we know that um, we can find it in Your Word. And so we do pray that now as we turn to Your Word that, that You would meet us here um, and that You would speak clearly and, and powerfully to each one of us that all of the various things that could distract us, our fears and frustrations and busyness, uh, that you would kind of push all that to the side for this moment so that we could really truly hear you speak and truly have your guidance in our lives. And so, Father, we pray now that you would open our ears to hear, our eyes to see, and our hearts to receive what you have to say to us this morning. And all God's people said, Amen. Well, we're continuing to work our way through Habakkuk. And uh, just a few verses this morning from Habakkuk chapter 2. And remember, we ended last week with Habakkuk saying, I'm going to take my stand on the watchtower. I'm going to keep my eyes on God. And I'm going to wait for Him to give me an answer. And uh, we get to hear, so this week we hear the first part of that. Then the Lord replied, write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. See, the enemy is puffed up. His desires are not upright, but the righteous will live by his faith. Indeed, wine betrays him. He's arrogant and never at ease because he is as greedy as the grave and like death is never satisfied. He gathers to himself all the nations and takes captive all the peoples. And one of, the, one of the questions that kept kind of rolling in my mind this week as I studied this passage is, um, where do you turn for help? And, and more than that, where do you turn when you've kind of tried to remove God from your life? Because um, now you, you, know, you try to remove God from your life, now you no longer have kind of a higher power to turn to. And so now when you're in a time of need... Where do you look? And you know, some people will look to kind of the people around them. Some people will look to their society. Some people will look toward government. But then we realize that what ends up happening is every one of them is going to let us down at some point. And so when they let us down, then where do we turn after that? And what ends up happening is we end up just turning more in on ourselves and then just trusting in ourselves for for all of our hope. And it's interesting because we're seeing this happening more and more and more in our, in our society and in our culture. There's, uh, 
there's kind of this increasing uh, rhetoric or increasing language that, that we are strong and we are capable. Um, why? Because if we're going to trust in ourselves, we have to convince ourselves that we're strong enough and capable enough to trust in ourselves. Like that, that we can kind of, we got to believe that we can handle anything. And so, so you, can, you can read repeatedly people telling you like the best thing you can do each morning is wake up, look in the mirror, and say, I'm strong, I'm powerful, I can do this. And so we're living in a, in a society that where there's kind of this continual promotion of pride and self-reliance. And uh, what, we, what we learn in our passage this morning is that you can either live by pride or you can live by faith. Uh, but you can't do, do both of them. And, and last week, I said, we, we ended with Habakkuk saying, I'm taking my stand. I'm keeping my eyes on you, God. I'm, I'm waiting for you to answer. I trust that you're going to answer me. And so when God comes and brings that answer to Habakkuk, he says, um, the answer I'm about to give you, Habakkuk, is really important. It's, it's so important, Habakkuk, you need to, to write it down. Um, and you need to make it plain on tablets. Like plain on tablets of stone. And so... What God's telling Habakkuk is that like, this message I'm about to give you, the answer I'm about to give you, isn't actually just for you. And it isn't actually just for Israel who's alive right now. This is going to be a message for future generations. That's why you have to write it down. And you have to write it like in stone on tablets. So this will be preserved for the next generation and the next generation. Because it might take a while before this vision comes to be. And he tells him, he says, you need to make it plain. You need to make this message really clear for a reason. And so I gotta, I'm not going to get into all of the details. You can ask Don about it. But, but in general, Hebrew can be difficult to translate. And there are moments where you get into a sentence and you're like, I don't really know which is the verb and, and what's going on. So there's different ways. If you go through different translations, of this passage, it will be translated differently in some ways. The ESV translates it so that he may run who reads the message. Um, but another translation you might find is that um, Habakkuk, make this message plain on tablets so that the one who is running can read it. With, it's kind of this idea that you need to make it in huge letters so that someone who's running will see the message and clearly see it. They, they won't be able to miss it. Almost make this message like a billboard on the side of Highway 151 so that people who are flying through life will see it and they'll take notice of it. Um, some translations will translate it that way. I don't think that's uh, the best translation. And So you'll see the ESV and a number of other ones who say, so that he can run who reads the message. That there's this idea when you, when you read this message, it will cause you to run. Um, and what does that mean? Uh, there's, a different, there's a couple different ways to understand that. It, one is that running is kind of the opposite of like stumbling and bumbling your way through life. And so it, you could understand it as God saying, Habakkuk, make this message plain so that people will understand it clearly and they won't kind of stumble and bumble their way through life. They'll be able to, to run down the path that God has laid out for them. Um, but I don't think that's it either. So, 
Um, I th- there's maybe some of these tied in there, but, but the better way to understand it, and the NIV that I read at the beginning did a really good job translating it. It said, so that the herald could run to proclaim it. And so there's this idea that God wants Habakkuk, make this message clear. Write it down. Put, write it in stone so that future generations can read the message, understand it, and then run out to proclaim that message to the people. That there's going to be a day when this vision is going to happen, and I want you to make it so clear that when that generation sees it happening, they're going to be stirred on the inside and they're going to run out and tell people, this is what God is doing right now. And the beginning of that message that they're supposed to be running out and telling people is that there's two ways to live in the world. You can live by pride or you can live by faith. You can't live by both. And and this passage, God doesn't have much good to say about those who want to live by pride. Um, He actually kind of describes the prideful person as a drunken person. Right? It's a, the ESV says wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. But again, it's really it's another difficult passage to translate, but it's talking about the prideful person is like a drunken person who, who's never at rest. And, and you know, you become drunk because you've just lost all sense of moderation and you can't control yourself. You just kind of keep, I need another drink, I need another drink, I need another drink, I need another drink, I need another drink. And, and they're just kind of, they, they never have enough. They keep going and kind of stumbling and bumbling and just kind of feeling that way. And so God says, actually, the prideful person is the same way. He said, the, the, the prideful person's greed is as wide as shale. It's as wide as the place of the dead. Like death, the prideful person, they never have enough. The prideful person gathers for himself all nations, collects all his own all, um, all his own, all peoples. And so there's, there's this idea that, that just as the, the drunken person feels like, I just need one more drink, I need one more drink, I need one more drink. It says actually the prideful person goes through life saying, I just need one more of this, I need one more of this, I need one more job, I need one more hour, I need one more. And, and, and they go through life never at, never satisfied. Never having enough. I just need one more thing. And, and because the prideful person is trusting in themselves, that's why they are never satisfied. Because now they've placed themselves in the ultimate position of hope and trust in their life. And so they can't be satisfied. They can't rest because they, they have to keep going. Right? You have to make a little bit more money. You have to make a little bit more... Um, you have to get more power. You have to be a little bit more notable. You have to just another, another, another. Just like... The drunk, and so you can't be satisfied because you have to keep climbing the ladder because all of your hope is in you. Which is a pretty terrible way to live if you start to think about it. A life never satisfied. And so the, the prideful life, a life lived kind of trusting in yourself, is, is a life lived without contentment and a life lived without satisfaction. Which is why... God goes on and he describes the prideful life as one who's never at rest. He says, oh, I missed that one. He says, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man, a prideful man who is never at rest. And so because the, the prideful person is, is never content and they're never satisfied, they are never at rest, right? They're always going. You need, 
You can't rest if you trust in yourself. You have to be doing something. You have to be saving yourself somehow. And, and every resting moment is a moment where you could be doing something else. You could be doing this. Or if I rest for a little bit, maybe someone's going to surpass me. And so, so you can't rest. You're always trying to move ahead. You're always trying to do something. You're not really sure if you're doing enough to take care of yourself. And so you just keep going and going and going and going and going and going until you wear yourself out. And you're restless. Like every time you sit, you feel like you should be doing something. And you can't just sit. And so the prideful life is one without rest, and the prideful life is one that has no contentment or satisfaction. And and just to kind of stop on that moment, um, I think we can look around us and see that that's a pretty... Like, common thing that we're seeing these days, right? Like, I, I do think we could, I mean, not just, like, not just to point the finger out there, like at everybody else, but even at our own family lives and what's going on in us. We can look at our whole culture and us, those who live in it, and we could say we're living in a culture that's restless and unsatisfied, right? And you can go into the bookstore and you go to the self help section and you'll find people who are making millions of dollars. Millions of dollars teaching people how to find rest in the world. Or millions of dollars teaching people how to find some level of satisfaction in, in this world. It's because people are wrestling with it. And it's because we've, we're relying on ourselves. It's because at the core, we're living by pride. And, and really the sad thing is, is um, you, can, you can crack open these books. I, I love reading these books. It's sometimes painful, but, but I love reading these books, but you'll open them up and they'll say, here's how you find contentment, here's how you find rest, and you know what they end up telling you? Just look deeper into yourself. You know, work harder, make more money, build up a big savings account, then you can rest. Then you'll be satisfied. Or, or just get up every morning and tell yourself more strongly in the mirror that, that you can do this. Like, just look at and just like shake yourself every morning like, you idiot, you can do it this time, you know? And it doesn't work. And what ends up happening is you're, you're trying to rely on pride to get yourself out of a problem that pride got you into, and you get into this death spiral where you live more restless and where you live more unsatisfied, which is what we kind of see happening. And so, which is why God says, he says actually that the prideful life is not the upright life. He says the prideful person, their soul is is puffed up within them and their soul is not upright within them. Which is, you know, just to say it more blunt and less like politically correct, like the prideful life is the wicked life. It's, It's unrighteous. If it's not upright, it's unrighteous. And... And so, yeah, on the one hand, if we're going to try to live life, kind of try to live this prideful, self-reliant life, yes, you're going to be restless. Yes, you're going to be unsatisfied. Yes, it's going to start to destroy you and everyone around you. Um, But Scripture says it's actually worse than that. Um, The prideful life is a life lived rejecting the God who created you. It's like a life lived continually spitting in that God's face saying, I don't need you. I can do this myself. I'm strong enough. I'm powerful enough. I've got this. Get away from me. 
And so it's the core of wickedness, really. And, and it's interesting because as God's giving this message to Habakkuk, He's kind of giving these kind of general principles about the prideful life and so on and so forth, but, but He's really pointing it in a specific direction, right? He's, he's laying this out, and we'll see this next week. He's talking about Babylon, the, the nation that's going to bring judgment on Israel. Um, because as you, as you see, as you read through the Bible, Babylon is the epitome of the prideful life. It began in Genesis 11 when they built the Tower of Babel. Um, and it goes all the way through to the end of Revelation where it talks about Babel being the epitome of this prideful rejection of God. And, and it's interesting as you start to understand some of the things that we've read so far in this passage and then you connect it with um, the fall of Babylon when the nation was, was destroyed. We, we read about that in Daniel chapter 5, and I'm not going to go through the whole thing, so homework for you. Go home, read Daniel chapter 5. But the short version of the story is King Belshazzar of Babylon is, decides to have this feast, and at this feast there's a lot of wine, and so everybody gets trashed. I mean, the king is really drunk, and everybody else is really drunk, and and they're just having a good old time. And, and then in their pride, in the midst of being drunk, they say, go to the te- go grab... Remember all those like cups, gold and silver cups we got out of the God's temple? Let's bring those and let's get drunk with God's cups. Like, let's drink wine out of that. And, and so they, they take the gold and silver cups out of the temple and they start getting drunk with that. And they're having a good old time. And they're not praising God. They're, they're drinking out of God's cups and saying, praise be to the God of wood and stone, and bronze, and all of this kind of prideful drunkenness. And then in the midst of that, what happens? A hand comes up and writes on the wall, and the short version is, says, Babylon, you're going to be destroyed. And that night, Babylon's destroyed. Because as the Bible says repeatedly, pride goes before the fall. Always. And so the picture in this passage is that rather than living by pride and living a life kind of separated from God and kind of restless and unsatisfied, it says the righteous will live by his faith. Like This is how we're called to live in this world. The, the wicked are going to live by their pride, but the righteous are going to live by faith. And remember, as we kind of work this out, the, the question we're asking over and over again as we go through the book of Habakkuk is, kind of how do we live in the midst of this messed up world, right? There's, we see injustice and violence. We see all this stuff going on. We don't understand it. So how do, we, how do we live in the midst of this? And the answer is, we live by faith. That we're going to be tempted to kind of follow the rest of the world around us and live by pride and trust in ourselves and rely on ourselves. We're going to be tempted to do that because that's what we're seeing happen all around us. And God says that doesn't go well. And so rather, if you want to, if you want to live in this world the way God has created you to live, and if you want to live a righteous life in this world, you need to live by, by faith. And this passage is probably the most, I didn't look it up to make sure, but it is probably the most quoted Old Testament passage in the New Testament. 
It's quoted like five, six, maybe seven times in, in the New Testament. And so uh, the Apostle Paul talks about it in Romans 1. He says, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the Gospel because the Gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first, but also to the, to the Greek or to the Gentile. In the Gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. Or, your translation might say, from faith beginning to end. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And what Paul's saying is that the Gospel shows us how we are to live righteously in the world. And he says that righteousness comes by faith beginning to end. Like faith is at the beginning and faith is in the middle and faith is at the end of that. And, and you see, on the one hand, you have the, the prideful person who wants to rely on themselves. Where are they looking for their righteousness? Themselves. I can do this. I can live the life that God has called me to live. I can, I can follow the Ten Commandments perfectly. I can, I can do all of these things. And they're saying, I can just make myself righteous. I can earn it. But the Gospel says, you can't. You can try as hard as you want to try to make yourself righteous and you can't do it. You will fail every single time. The Gospel says if, if you want to be righteous, you don't look at yourself. You actually look away from yourself. Look to Jesus Christ. And then by faith, you ask Him to give, grant you forgiveness for how you've fallen short. But then by faith, He takes His perfect life, His righteous life, and He gives it to you. And credit it to your account. So that now when, when God looks at you, He doesn't see your whole messed up life. He sees Jesus' perfect life. But you didn't earn it. You just looked away from yourself and looked to Jesus by faith. And that's how the righteous life begins. But then faith doesn't end there. I mean, notice how Habakkuk writes it. He doesn't say, the righteous has faith once. No, he says, the righteous will live by his faith or will live by their faith. That, that you become righteous by your faith at the beginning, but it doesn't end there. Then you start living by that faith. Like every single breath you take, you take by faith. Every single step you take, you take by faith. And so it's there every step of the way. And, and a famous passage that kind of helps us understand that faith is in Hebrews 11, verse 1. It says, here's what faith is. If you're not sure what that faith is, here's what it is. It's the assurance of things hoped for. And it's the conviction of things unseen. Right? So faith is, isn't just kind of like blind belief. It's actually assurance. And faith is conviction. And, and at the beginning, it's this assurance that Jesus Christ has died for the forgiveness of our sins. And it's this conviction that Christ has taken His perfect life and credited it to us. But, but then we live by that faith every single day. Like as you live through life and as you mess up, you live by that assurance that Christ has forgiven me and that conviction that His perfect life has been given to me. And then you live by faith and, and assurance and conviction that God has made promises to you and He will fulfill those promises. And you live by faith and you have a conviction and assurance that God will provide for you even if you can't see it. 
God will provide for you. And so, so faith at the core is this confidence in God, right? And, and you know what the opposite of that is, right? Confidence in self, which is pride. And so faith recognizes that we are weak and frail and we can't do this on our own, but it's important to know faith itself is not weak, right? Faith recognizes that we're weak, but faith isn't weak. It's conviction. It's assurance. It's something that gets deep down in you and refuses, you, uh, refuses for you to let go. It's this confidence that God, it, it's a confidence in the God who created the world, the God who saved you, and the God who holds on to you every single moment of every single day. And here's why that's so, so powerful. Um, so on the one hand, you have the, the prideful life that, that can never rest. They're always wanting more and more and more because they're relying on themselves, right? They always have to be at work. But the life lived by faith has confidence in a God who is always at work for us. And that means we can actually find rest in this world. We can, because we have confidence, right, that God's at work, God's in control, and God has promised that He's going to take care of us and He's going to fulfill His promises. And so, in the middle of craziness, you can go to bed, you can lay down and say, somebody told me this as a pastor. Um, Like, there's going to be times as a pastor where things in the church are going to be a mess, and you just need to go, you need to go to bed, lay down and say, God, this is your church. I'm going to bed. Um, and there's times when maybe you're not a pastor, but you can lay down and you'd be like, God, this is your family. This is your job. This is your money. I'm going to bed. And you can do that because you trust that God's at work when you're sleeping. He, so you can actually sleep. You don't have to always be wrestling and struggling with things. You can, you can rest. And, and there's even this, this powerful truth in the midst of this that you can actually... Because Christians work. I mean, it's not like we just kind of float around on a cloud and sleep. I mean, we work hard and, and diligent, but you can do that restfully. Because you know that God's also at work in your, in your work. And so, because we have this confidence in God, we can actually live a life of rest. Which also means you can live a life that's satisfied and, and content. Right? The, the prideful life can't be satisfied because it's always needing more, always trying to assure itself, always trying to make sure, remind itself, like, you measure up, you're good enough. Um, and so you're, you're never fully satisfied. And yet, when we have confidence in God, we can actually be content in, in any situation that, that comes our way. And that's true. <laughs> you know, I, I know sometimes we read that, you know, Paul the Apostle Paul in Philippians 4 says, I have learned to be content in any situation, whether I'm in want or in need or in plenty or in, in trial. And he said, I can be content because I know that my God is watching over me. I know that my God is caring for me. I know that my God has me in this situation for a reason and He's working and doing something and so I can be content here. Whether you're struggling to make it to the next paycheck, whether you're in the hospital, whether whatever, you can learn to be content in that situation because you have a Father who's got you and watching over you. And you trust Him. You have confidence in in Him and not yourself. And then what kind of flows out of that, you can can live by faith, you can can find rest. By faith, you can find uh, the satisfaction. 
Uh, but you can also find patience. Because if you can rest and if you can be satisfied, then you can be, be patient. And, and so when God tells Habakkuk about this vision, he tells him, I guess it's not going to happen for a bit, right? He says, this vision awaits its appointed time. It, it hastens to the end. It, it's coming. It will not lie. But if it seems slow to you, wait for it because it's going to come. It will not delay, right? And so, so God's telling Habakkuk, like, I'm giving you this vision. I'm telling you what's going to happen. Um, but you're going to hit a point in your life where you think, it's not going to happen. God's taking way too long. <laughs> and he says, if you feel like it's taking too long, wait for it. It's going to happen. How does he know it's going to happen? Because God told him it was going to happen. And he says, God doesn't lie. And so he says, yeah, it may seem like things are, are taking longer than you want. You may not understand why everything's going the way it is. But he says, God told you it was going to happen. It's going to happen. So then have confidence in your God and wait and, and trust him. And, and remember, that's what faith is, right? A faith is assurance of things hoped for. And so God says, you're hoping for this vision to come true? Well, guess what? Faith is assurance of those things that are hoped for. And, and are you wrestling like you can't see how this vision is going to come true? Well, have faith. Faith is conviction of things that you can't see. God said it. He doesn't lie, so you trust Him and you have confidence in Him and you wait. And, and you have patience in the midst of whatever situation you're in. And, and then really connected with, with patience is this idea of, of perseverance. Like not quitting in the middle when things get tough. And, and this is one of the things that I've tried to help people see uh, so many times is that when we really truly have confidence in our God, it gives us the strength to persevere through things we would never think we could ever make it through. Um, you know, the, the world is going to tell you, if you want to persevere, like pull yourself up from your boot by your bootstraps, dig your heels in, gut it out, get it done, rely on yourself more to persevere. And Scripture says, not going to work. Um, because um, eventually the truth is going to come out. Um, you know, not to be a total downer, but the day will come and the situation will come when you realize you're not strong enough. Right? I just talked about that, right? I, I spent some time in the hospital recently realizing, hey, bonehead, you're not strong enough. Like, it's going to come. You can't rely on yourself. And if you are relying on yourself, when that moment comes, you will quit. Because you'll realize, shoot, I'm not strong enough to make it through this. I can't. Which is why faith is so powerful. Because it comes up at the forefront and says, you are not powerful enough. You can't do it. But thank God you have a God that is and He will carry you through this. Um, that's really what, you know, Hebrews 11 starts off saying, here's faith, right? Assurance of things hoped for. Conviction of things unseen. And then the rest of that chapter gives story after story after story after story of people who persevered by faith when it seemed like everything was going against them, they persevered. Because they trusted in themselves? No. Because they had assurance and conviction and confidence in their God. And so they, they kept going. And so that's another homework assignment. Read, read Daniel 5 and then read Hebrews 11 and, and meditate on it because it's, it's powerful for us to, to realize 
that this is what pulls us through. Like there are in our life where we don't think we can keep on going. Like I don't know if I have the strength to just keep going and going. And if you try to rely on yourself, you'll quit. But rather, you have faith in your God, right? You have assurance of things hoped for. You have conviction of things unseen. And so, yeah, you can't see the strength in you to make it through. But God says, I've got you. I will bring you through. You don't, maybe don't see God carrying you, pulling you through. He's like, I got you. I'm going to pull you through. And so you say, I trust you. Okay. And you take another step and you keep going through. And, and that's going to happen over and over. Or, or to kind of tie this in with Habakkuk, there's going to be these moments in, in life where you're looking at your life and you're going, I don't see the promises of God. <laughs> I don't understand why things are going the way they are. I don't understand why my life just stinks right now. And God says, well, guess what faith is? Faith is conviction of things that you don't see. Faith is assurance of things hoped for. And God said, I've got you. I'll provide for you. I will pull you through this. I will give you strength when you need it. Have conviction. Have assurance. Hold on to that. And then by faith you go, I trust you. I don't see it. I don't understand it. But I trust you. And that is the core of this entire book of Habakkuk. Like, how do you live in a messed up world? You live by faith, with confidence and assurance in your God. How do you live when, when you look around you and things are going crazy and you don't understand why things are the way they are? You live by faith and you trust your God. You have confidence in Him. You have assurance of things He's promised, conviction of things you cannot see. And, and don't fall into the temptation to live like the rest of the world is telling you to live and just rely on yourself and pull yourself up and try to gut it out on your own because that will lead toward destruction in your life and everybody around you and it will leave you separated from your God. Rather, we live by keeping our eyes on our God, grabbing hold of Him, grabbing hold of His promises and saying, all right, I'm going to take this next breath because I trust you. I'm going to take this next step because I trust you. And we keep going, keep going. And as we do that, you find rest. And you find satisfaction. And even more than that, you find that now you're walking in step with your God. You're not separated from Him, but now you're in communion with Him and in relationship with Him. And that really is worth more than anything the world has to offer. Let's come to our God in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come continuing to be thankful for the promises that You've made. And not only thankful for those promises, but we're thankful that You are a God who has proven trustworthy over and over and over again. That You do not lie and You will make good on Your promises. And so we thank You that you, we can have confidence and hope in You. And yet, Lord, we do come to You and confess that Often we rely on ourselves. We try to rely on our own strength. We don't fully trust You. We become impatient. We try to get our fingers in everything. And, and Lord, so we confess that to You. We, we want to trust You. We want to walk in step with You. And, and so we ask You to forgive us and then, and then fill us anew with Your Spirit so that we would 
trust you more fully, that we would actually live our lives by faith, every breath and every step, with this assurance and conviction that you're our God and you've got us. And so help us to do that, Lord. Help us each day. Help us to leave from here, to go home trusting in you, and help us to get up tomorrow morning to go to our work or to go to our families or go to our grandkids, and help us to do that all by faith, trusting in you and your promises. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.